Welcome to The Reformed Deacon, a casual conversation with topics specifically designed to help local Reformed Deacons. There are nearly a thousand deacons in the OPC alone, so let's take this opportunity to learn from and encourage one another. We're so glad you could join us. Let's jump into our next episode of The Reformed Deacon. I'm David Nocklin. I'm sitting here in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, meeting with John Eide, country team leader for the work of the PCA's Mission to the World, MTW, in Ukraine. We met over coffee when I passed through Krakow in May, and now John is here in the Philadelphia area, his home away from home when not in Ukraine. It occurred to me that this would be a great opportunity to gather a first-hand account and summary of much of that which has transpired in the work of the team in Ukraine, and even some visibility in thoughts as we look ahead. John, thanks for your willingness to chat with me today. Very happy to. Awesome. So, John, if you would introduce yourself and um, kind of the history of your work and that of MTWs in Ukraine up until February 24. Hmm. So kind of yeah. spell out a little bit, you know, what what's transpired up until our kind of crazy, crazy day now. Yeah, yeah. So... Mission of the World started our work in Ukraine in the early 90s when we participated in, along with many other missions, the targeted area of the Soviet Union from a number of missions called the Co-Mission. And uh, we worked in, MTW worked in Ukraine as a part of the Co-Mission and worked in and developed that mission in that part of the country. And by God's grace, saw a number of churches in the end forming a denomination that came as a result of that, uh, which is now 15 churches in 12 cities uh, across the country, two of which now, in what you referenced, is in Russian-controlled areas, mm. uh, two of those churches. Our personal family, my wife and I, and our family moved to Ukraine in 1997, and we've been there uh, mostly since, uh, since then, um, and came back to get our, our son some, some help. And then when the war began, we, we went over again. But it's been a privilege to see a denomination rise up out of really nothing, and in, in this case, actually nothing, uh, because of the Soviet Union and the breakup in 1991. And a publishing house, you know, we've seen this, our seminary in Kiev uh, come out of that and, and so forth. And it's been really, really, really amazing to see how God has worked in and developed and brought this denomination to the place that it is today, which is, of course, why it's so much more tragic and sad to see the country and, by extension, the church uh, be so affected negatively by this by this war and with people scattered all over Europe and, and so forth. But And the church you guys are working with, who, who you established, is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Ukraine? That's right. Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Ukraine. How many pastors does it have now? Oh, 15 churches in 13 cities. Actually, Hero Huckaboard from the OPC yep. is our only non-Ukrainian pastor right now. However, his Ukrainian is probably better than some of our other <laughs> Ukrainian pastors, Ukrainian and that's actually not a joke because some of our, our primarily Russian speakers and their yeah. struggle in Ukrainian and heroes Ukrainian is very very good. So he is our only non-Ukrainian pastor at this point. All the all the rest are are, uh, are local Ukrainian guys. At our presbytery meetings, we have twenty or so people okay. between those ordained, between uh, teaching elders, between those coming in as candidates, okay. stuff like that. Great. Yeah. And can you describe maybe the MTW team mm-hmm. um, and where, again, pre-war, where, yeah. where were you guys located? Yeah, we were and are, I guess, still located in the three larger cities in Ukraine, Odessa, Kiev, and uh, Lviv. And we're in church in the east in Kherson, which is a city that's now in Russian-controlled territory for the time being. We're talking June, uh, July 20, summer of 2022. Yep, yep. So we'll see what happens this fall with that city and with the country, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but our MTW work has 20 families in, in three cities. Uh, we moved out of one of those cities, mainly focusing on church planting. Obviously, the team in Kiev, where the seminary is, has a presence at the seminary in, in uh, the capacity of teaching and dean of students and things like that. Um, but the denomination is primarily Ukrainian-run, Ukrainian-led. The presbytery, as it stands in Ukraine, uh, is a Ukrainian presbytery with the Ukrainian-led uh, missionaries are given a vote. One or two missionaries, each presbytery, are given a vote. Okay. Uh, Hero, for example, as the 
pastor of the church gets a vote of the presbytery. But otherwise, I show up at the presbytery, even though I have this title of being the country director of Ukraine, I don't don't necessarily have a vote at that presbytery unless I'm given it. Same goes for the seminary. It's the Ukrainian board led by Ukrainian church. It's been beautiful on a number of levels, really, to see. It's it's been beautiful to see the church and the denomination grow. It's also been beautiful to see it grow as a Ukrainian entity and as yeah. a Ukrainian thing. Um, and it make, you know, decisions and partnerships with other countries and, and, uh, and all that stuff. And I think as a result, we've seen the response in this war, in our case, to be very Ukrainian-led. MTW, by God's grace has raised lots of churches and lots of people have given a substantial amount of money toward this war. All of that, almost all of that money is going to the denomination, to the churches in their place. They're setting up the the shelters. Most of the churches are full of, of, um, of displaced people right now as it is. They're setting up the shelters. They're deciding who the, their deacons and elders are deciding who help, who needs help and, and how to help them and, and, and so forth. So it's really been beautiful to see this, partnership working together pre-war and then the trust and development everything continue to serve us and more importantly to serve obviously the country and and uh and everybody suffering so greatly right now post post-war as well Mm. yeah that's 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 a win to see the the church that you've been working with 30 years now to be leading in ministry to to itself and to those around them yeah yeah Can you talk about the work that's been done since February 24, maybe the immediate work, and then how that's maybe transitioned yeah. even to today? Just yeah. kind of paint the, paint the big picture. Yeah. February 24th at 4 a.m., mm. Russia initiated their full-scale invasion of Ukraine with bombings in most, most of the larger cities in the country. That started a wave of emigration from the country to the west and further into Europe. Poland, all of the borders that uh, countries that border Ukraine, uh, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, Moldova, were all all the border crossings were full, and all the people mm. were were uh, w- in this case mostly women and children, with few exceptions. If you have over three children, and if, or if you're disabled, uh, men cannot leave the country, and there aren't too many of those exceptions, at least in our churches. And so on that day, we saw a displaced person refugee crisis like we haven't seen in a long time it's a very specific one because it was 90 something five six seven eight nine percent women and children crossing Mm -hmm. the borders most of them many many of them not most many of them may or may not have had passports themselves Mm. a lot of children didn't have passports they're bringing in pets without documents into the eu typically the bar is fairly high on documentation you need to get to the eu we were still in COVID times in February 24th, right. where in order to enter the EU, you needed a COVID test and wow. you needed all that stuff. All of that, amazingly, really, really amazingly, all of that was waived. waived. I mean, yep. let, letting people without passports into the EU is not something that's typically yeah. done, and it was and it was done. That wave came through a number of our cities. Uh, our, came through Odessa, came mm. through, oh, came from Kiev, and most importantly came through Lviv, a city in the far west of, uh, of Ukraine, an hour or so from the border. That team, we had prepared at some, nothing for nothing like this, but we had prepared at some level. We rented some space. We put some cots in a building just in case something might happen. <laughs> bought a couple of generators, and really that was about, the, that was about it. But did have... A crisis team in place and did have a thought of oh, how would we respond theoretically? Mm. Of course, it's never going to happen, but theoretically, if something should happen, <laughs> how would we respond? And obviously, all of the pressure was put on that. I mean, there were, you know, it's possible that a city of one million people is Lviv max with the surrounding areas. It could have been between seven and ten people coming through Lviv uh, as a city. Seven to ten million. Million, rather. Wow. Uh, million people coming through Lviv. So that team was completely maxed out. And in the end, uh, after a week or two, they evacuated and moved to Krakow. And then that became our kind of crisis center war room from which we recruited a bunch of people. And in the end, had about a team of 30 responding to the refugee crisis and to the aid crisis that we had. We purchased a bunch of vans. We set up a system whereby... Because we're the church and we are known as the church, we got all kinds of requests for housing people from Europe. 
So, you know, a church in Amsterdam said that they could put people in their basement. A church in the Netherlands, you know, wherever. Berlin uh, said that, you know, they had a church member with an extra house or a basement or something like that. So we took that flood of requests and aid coming in as well from, I mean, just off the top of my head, France, Spain. UK was a little bit more difficult because their their process was a little harder. But, uh, I mean, Germany, I mean, just name your country. Probably we had a request for that. So... Request for... Offers. That's a better way to say it. That's right. Offers, yeah. yeah. So what we had was what felt like. I don't know what the actual numbers are. After this thing, we'll go back Mm -hmm. and count. What felt like a million people wanting to take in Ukrainians, what felt like. And a million Ukrainians wanting to go somewhere. And then the month of March was basically just one huge Tetris game of (laughs) trying to figure out... Number one, who's there? How do you get them there? Where the, you know, what country provides free transportation? What country, what countries don't? Uh, what documents you would need to get in that country? Which ones you wouldn't? How can you get someone there? Most of the Ukrainians were not, did not expect to be in Krakow. Um, right. And here they are. They got, they have kids. They have needs. Everybody's looking for just a little slice of normalcy and privacy. Um, they'd rather not live in a gym for six months. Uh, nobody would. And so that March and into April game of Tetris before the numbers slowed down and before people kind of generally found where they were was really an amazing to besides the fact that everybody's working 20 hours a day. It was it was really amazing to see how, well, first of all, the church's response in Europe. Yeah. Come. Yeah. We'll find a place for them. You know, that kind of thing. And the need, on the other hand, was saddening and the stories we were here were you know, horrendous and all that stuff. And then it's just a matter of, well, how, and we're the pinch point, the little tiny pinch point, because there was thousands of pinch points, but uh, we were for our people, we were that pinch point for not not all of them, but many of them. And so how do we serve the church in Ukraine, receive these offers and, uh, and find everybody um, a home and get them there and get them settled. And then, you know, and then check them off our little box. It was a, it was, um, um, it, it would have been satisfying and fun if it were if not for the reason that we were doing it. Yes. I mean, it would have been an interesting problem to solve, as it were. It was not an interesting problem to solve. It was a terrible, tragic, yes. horrible thing that we mourn about. Um, so that was most of the work. And then parallel to that, it felt like every church in, in Europe and the States was saying, how can we help? Can we help what can we do? do? Yep. You know, what, do you, what do you need? The States is a little bit harder because you're not going to send a, a van full of water bottles to, to Krakow this, from Idaho or whatever. Right. But that what's, that's not true for, you know, places in, in Europe. You can't actually within 24 hours reach Krakow for, mm-hmm. from a lot of, mm-hmm. almost all of Europe, mm-hmm. right? Then on the other hand, we had people saying, you know, I went outside the hotel where we had most of our people. Um, and here's a two vans that show up from Madrid. Vans from Madrid. I didn't know it was possible to drive, but it's possible to drive. Yeah. You go through France and it's, it's not, yeah, anyway, with full of stuff. I mean, medicines and, and, and everything is really incredible. So then you're on a parallel way running this, you know, sorting out the, you know, who speaks Spanish and knows what this medicine says, you know, that kind of thing. And how can we get it to the right people who needs it in the country? So we got vans going out of the country with people in it and vans going into the country with, uh, with stuff that we've received in it and uh, trying to, you know, get that out most of the places in the city and as you will recall in march it was very unclear how the war was going to go right very unclear right. russian mm-hmm. troops came and almost completely encircled kiev and mm-hmm. uh there was three four maybe other fronts that, that they were advancing on you know as it turns out kiev is still ukrainian uh but every morning i woke up and and checked to see that the president of ukraine was live yes. because that yeah. was the for me, at least, that was the that was the, the kind of the monitoring point to see how this thing was going to go, and it was very unclear, very unclear how it was going. So you had the heaviness of we may lose everything, meaning people, churches, and then you know a distant third and fourth real estate, and you know all the things that that had been built and everything. And you you're getting all of our pastors' wives and children. You know, coming through your your our pinch point, so to speak, on on their way to Europe. Odessa pastor's uh, wife is in central 
Spain with that those two vans that came in that I just mentioned with the stuff. We put the pastor and his kids from the Odessa church, and they rode down to Spain with that van. They're still there now. Mm. Um, and so it was the logistical puzzle of moving people to places in Europe. It was a logistical puzzle of how to get aid in and where to get it to in Ukraine. Meanwhile, it was this umbrella of Ukraine, what felt like, what felt like Ukraine's going to go away. Mm. I mean, this whole thing could just, you know, mm. it, it could be Russia tomorrow morning. It would have felt like, well, maybe not all the way to Lviv, to, to Lviv or to the West, but yeah. it, it certainly was. Or, I mean, here we are in Krakow, just over the border. Is this going to come to L- Poland? Yeah, and how right. is this going to go? And are we are we are, are, are we sitting in the yep. middle of World War Three? Yep. I mean, it was, yep. March was March was 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 terrible. That's <laughs> all terrible. But March and April, especially. Then May, Russian troops were driven out of the north, uh, back to Belarus, and they circled around and came into Donetsk. And it was becoming clear then in May that the, the war was really going to focus on Donetsk, Lugansk, Oblast, those two uh, republics, or not republics, they're not republics, uh, those Province. two um, yeah, provinces or, or areas in the east. Mm-hmm. And it didn't look like, other than Kherson, which was terrible, but I think that was in March too, uh, there, any larger cities were going to be taken over in the very near future and so forth. Um, and the immediate panic mostly had died down we figured out processes that we put in place for aid processes for people most of the people were already gone a few even trickling back into places like kiev and um not not too many trickling back actually but a few here and there and and then that is basically this now it is as the war fades from the news cycle in the west as the need remains or even increases in uh, within Ukraine, or how can we, on one hand, serve our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine by continuing to fund and help, and all of our pastors are functionally unemployed right now because they're mm-hmm. not their church budgets are not healthy, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and how can we serve the church in the states? You know, by telling the stories and, and so forth. So we started one of the things we did was started a program called Crates for Ukraine, Mm -hmm. because you can't, like I said, you can't drive from Massachusetts to Krakow, but you can't fly. And so we started a program whereby people, churches gather things, kind of like Samaritan's Purse's Operation Shoebox on steroids. So you fill a big crate and you send it over to Krakow and send it with a person, send a dozen of them with one person over to Krakow, and then we'll get that into Ukraine. So that's what we're involved in now, mostly. You mentioned Krakow. um, There... There was a time. When was it that the team evacuated Lviv to most of the team? It was early Krakow. It was early, probably two weeks, okay. maybe three weeks after the war began. So it would have been mid March, if not earlier. And that's Krakow, Poland. That's, cra- about, that's right. About two. A couple hours. Couple that's right. Hours from Lviv's an hour from the border, and then Krakow's two hours into Europe. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then and now the team, much of the team is back in Lviv. Most of the most of our MTW team is in Lviv again. We're speaking on on July twentieth. It could be. You know, different tomorrow. Yes. But right now, yeah. as it stands, yeah. it's safe enough for them to be in the country. Uh, but that's the only city where MTW personnel are. Okay. We have not returned anybody to Kiev or Odessa. However, all of our pastors remain in their cities, except for the two cities that are in Russian, are, oh, are in Russian control. Uh, with the exception of, that's not true. The, the Harkov Church has returned most, mostly to Harkov, the pastor at least, and, mm. and uh, some folks. I just today saw an article entitled. Russia signals a long war mm. in light of uh, Putin's search for partners abroad. It seems like this is going to be a long war. Um, do you have, you know, what are your current thoughts on ministering kind of now to a church in a country that is in a state of war? Yeah, do, you have, do, you have, do you have thoughts on that? The, the normal ministry, you went from normal ministry to crisis mode, and now now we're in a sense, almost in a new normal, the, the uncertainty of the future of Ukraine that you're talking about, is even Ukraine going to exist tomorrow? You know, that's that probably lingers a little bit, but not like it was before. But do you have thoughts on hmm. kind of this new state, if this is going to be a long state of, a, of things, hmm. what that looks like? Good question. 
uh, I would love to hear my pastor brothers and Ukrainian brothers and sisters here talk about this. You know, God has promised that he will build his church, Mm. even in a place like Ukraine, even in a a situation like it is uh, right now in war. Our goal as a mission is to serve alongside with support, love, and uh, and help the church uh, there. There will be a post-war Ukraine. There will be opportunities for church planting and growth and uh, and and development. I think that they're very likely there'll be a, a great deal of investment into Ukraine after the war is over. But we're not there yet. When we're going to be there, who knows? It's almost exclusively dependent on one person. And so. What does it look like between now and then? Um, it looks like, you know, serving, loving, helping. Yep. Uh, we have uh, physical needs. We're trying to get all of our pastors and churches and re- little response centers, which they've all turned into, uh, funded long-term. Get them physically, get them the things they need that you can't get in Ukraine. For a while, that was gasoline. That seems to have abated now a bit. But, um, you know, medicines and what, are they, what do you need? And then, you know... This there will is and will be a need for emotional and, and, and counseling support here over the long term. We have a generation now living in Ukraine growing up in air raid sirens every day yes. or almost every day. Yes. And um, when a missile is uh, launched from Russia, and air, every city sh- um, has their air raid sirens. And there's apps. Now you can get an app on your phone. Uh, to see is is it your city or is it not your city oh, and so where where the missile is coming from where so it's when going a missile to is launched all the sirens every go off, regardless go off. of whether it's yeah you're the target yeah that's right. don't know what the, that's right that's right they don't know what the target is and then when they find out when they find out when where it's probably headed then you you know you can get a more specific alert mm-hmm. on your phone and all this so anyway growing up in that yep. much less the actual physical danger which a lot yep. of people are in yep. my pastor Andre Nikolaev talks about the fact that. Everybody now is a military expert in Ukraine. So he said he can identify if it's an outgoing or an incoming uh, artillery shell or missile. In in terms of artillery, he can tell if it's, I don't know the numbers, if it's a 185 or if it's a 120 or if it's a, you know, the windows didn't shake this time. That means it's a 90. I don't know the numbers, but stuff like that. Um, And it is... um, you know, that's not healthy. No. <laughs> that's not a healthy place to live. You know, we've seen on the war-torn areas and all the other places in the world, it's just, it doesn't produce, it's, it's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for anybody. So meeting those emotional needs is uh, is an important piece of this. So right now, before we get to that post-war state, yes. which we're praying for yep. and we are, we are hoping for and we're looking forward to because all of the Ukrainian refugees in Europe want to go home. Yep. Nobody wants to live without dad or husband. Mm. Nobody wants to learn German to go to school this fall or yep. Dutch or French or whatever, Spanish. Uh, everybody wants to go back to their life and their house. And, and in most cases, that's uh, that's possible. All of, by God's grace, even the two that are in Russian-controlled areas, all of our churches are still standing. No, yep. Nothing's been damaged. Um, but until that time when we have the reverse Tetris problem of getting everybody back in. Well, yeah. it actually won't be that hard at all because everybody yeah. knows where they're going and how to get there. That's right. Um, we are serving, helping, you know, keeping these guys um, physically and keeping all these churches and all of our people who've chosen for one reason or another to stay in their cities, um, you know, physically and emotionally healthy and, and stable and mm. and funded and, and all that stuff. So that's where we are. Do you have any, are there any roles right now that you you see that you need to be filled with maybe a long-term, short-termer? Yeah. Um, maybe somebody could come for six months or yeah. um, as we have, you know, many people will be listening to this as an opportunity yeah. for you to talk yeah. about that. Great question. Um, I... I really think the next specific need that we will have is counseling, trauma counseling, and so forth. So many stories, so many terrible stories, so many people waking up with panic attacks, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, so, in fact, I talked to one person for whom their city is safe-ish. In terms of Ukraine, it's safe. Um, it's not Willow Grove, but it's not. It's safe, 
and they couldn't bring themselves to go back even to that city because of the because of the fear they felt and and uh, and so forth. So, I think, um, you know, two week trips, even with translators or, the, or with those who speak English, having some trauma informed folks come and speak and 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 either in a large group or in a small group or in one on one or whatever speak to folks, I think is going to be immensely helpful. Mm. Um, in terms of aid. You know, we're doing everything mostly through our churches there. We as uh, MTW missionaries aren't aren't moving into um, – we're not going in artillery range, put it that way. <laughs> so You're so we don't have – kind of not allowed to. Right? right, exactly. So we don't have a – we don't have a great need for people to go into the country right now. This Crates program, I think it's CratesforUkraine.com yep, yep. or org, um, is running through the end of the summer, and then we are – trying to determine what will be the needs this fall. How can we help and how can we serve as a Western church, um, the folks in Ukraine this fall? So you've seen a decrease in your giving. Yeah. This is a war and it is going to go on and we need to, you know, do, do some planning and think, okay, three years from now, yeah. if this, if we're still in a Ukraine's a no-fly zone, uh, it's living off a of foreign aid, and all of our pastors are still running their shelters. And how could we provide for our folks long term, in in some scenarios, long long term, so that we can continue to move forward? So that in twelve months we don't say, "Hey guys, listen, you know, we won't have any more and so forth." So we've tried to make some decisions. We spent a great deal of money in the in March and April. The numbers are, are are down now, but still, we need to figure out a, a rate in which we can sustain this for for a long term. So th- that was a long answer to a short question. Yes, that combined with, you know, we're not getting a million dollars a day. You know, we're getting more like a thousand dollars a day. So how do we, with that no, with those numbers going down, and with our commitment staying the same, how's this going to work? How long could this work? You know, what kind of things do we want to do for the denomination? Right now, it's all physical support. Ideally, we'd love to use some of this money for post-war church planting yeah. and, uh, and and stuff like that, as well as as well as trauma stuff. Um, you know, not just buying water bottles and whatever generators for people, yeah. but um, and it's gonna and, and, and in my opinion, it's gonna be a long winter in Ukraine, a long winter, oh, long yeah. cold winter. Oh, I think yeah. I think it's very likely that Russia will shut off the gas to the country, the natural gas. Um, I think it's likely in critical moments that they'll that they'll um, that they'll attack and and blow up um, electric stations, um, and all of our pastors are now buying kerosene heaters and wood furnaces because they're experiencing they're, they're expecting the same thing. So it's a good thing to do what we did in March and April. It's the right thing. It's you know being faithful, all that stuff. Next March and April, or next January through April, is going to be pretty key too. Uh, and then maybe the next one beyond that, I don't know. But it's going to be a dark. It's going to be cold and dark in Ukraine this winter, and there's going to be lots of needs. And so we're trying to think through how to pre-plan now uh, for that, yeah. uh, so that our folks, uh, the folks who are in their cities, uh, stay warm and fed. Hmm. So I'm more worried about this winter yep. than anything else right now. Uh, I mean, all this stuff that we're doing right now is great. Crates is crates for Ukraine. It's wonderful. Hundred churches, thousand crates, whatever it is, more than that probably. Uh, and that's all going to be great and useful and, and everything. But, you know, there's going to be, you can't run a city without heat. Yeah. Wow. That's a big deal. It's really, that's, that's, that's the, that's my number one concern right now. That's with, I'm not losing sleep over what well, I'm not losing sleep anymore over the fact that Russia is going to take over Ukraine or that obviously a lot of people are, a lot of soldiers are dying. Some of our seminary students and, and church members are, are serving. A lot of them are stuff like that. So I'm very worried about all that stuff. But what makes me lose sleep is how we're going to make through the winter. I guess that's where, in my mind, you know, as I look at as I look at the situation for a war, you know, I just I don't think the Ukrainians are going to give up. No, 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 and, no, I mean, no. Should they? Everything no. to lose. Yes. And now that they're being armed, you know, the more that the West is arming arming them. Yep. From that that standpoint, they're not going to give up. Yep. Putin is clearly not going to give up nope. anytime soon. Yep. Right. And so I look at it and I'm just like, this is going to be a long It is. Long. It is. So I think it's, to a certain extent, 
getting to the point of being able to assess that is helpful and then come to, you know what I mean, as much as everybody would love for it to be over soon. It's just like realistically, or you can pray for, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's maybe the question is, as you plan for the worst, you know, how, how, how do we do that? What does that look like? And that's where, I mean, I think like you have me thinking like, how do we, how do we send heaters? How do we, yes. you know, like, yeah, like, that may be the next, that may be Christ for Ukraine runs through September 1st. That may be Christ for Ukraine 2.0 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, heaters for Ukraine, whatever. Um, that may be the next, uh, the next place where we are. I don't know. Possible. I think that the inclination right now is for, for us to do what we can do with the funds in, in line with the things that you guys are asking for. So mm. Christ for Ukraine seems like a great yeah. program. Yeah. How can we mobilize that? I mean, in the survey trip I did, there just is not a lot of opportunities. Us sending a big pile of money to, let's say, Lithuania, yeah. would basically swamp, could easily swamp right. what the local church is doing. Right. It's like, why would we do that? Like, right. Right. let them right. do what they're doing, and right. they're not asking for it. And so if we go get involved, yeah. could easily dwarf what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. Who wants to do that? And yeah, so, yeah. and that's where I think what makes most sense is, is contribute to what you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, we have a connection, obviously. We have yeah, a connection. Yeah. You guys have a connection there, and it's very much in line with with both of our our theologies and our churches yeah. and so forth. So one of the one of the guys on the committee who's been interacting a bunch with those who are very involved with Christ for Ukraine is he's in the hospital equipment world. Yeah. You know, he's like looking at looking at these wound vac. Yeah, yeah, know, those things are helpful. Oh, all those are amazing. But he's also accustomed to shipping stuff. Yeah, shipping right. stuff all over the world, and so should we start thinking about you know filling a container with with heaters or what is it that you know that they could use or is there going to be food issues during the during the winter and what are sustainable low heat consumption MRE type of food so people can survive the winter because I think realistically this is going to go on in Russia. Yep. Russia's got their hand on the switch. No, I think a couple of things. Number one, there's possibility that the Russian economy may not just be able to keep up with, with the expenditure and what they're doing in Ukraine and, and with all the sanctions and stuff. Sanctions may hit at their worst starting in September. So what what is the fall going to look like for Russia is is valid of a question is what is the fall going to look like okay. for, for, for Ukraine. We'll see where that goes. But on the other on the food thing, we have got a company in Texas that makes flour that turns you can bake it into bread or whatever, something like that. And it's a it's a high protein okay. a high calorie thing and we're packaging those up and we're going to hand them out. So they're working on that on that kind of front as well. But the winter and then just generally long term how does this work? So, brother, how can we be specifically praying for the labors of the MTW team in Ukraine? Yeah, thank you. You know, physical and spiritual and emotional, that that kind of level. I think the, you know, if you put it in those three categories, physically, outside of Lviv team, and they they are on and off outside of the country, everybody is displaced. All of our team members are displaced. The Odessa team is is going to Romania. They're in a city called Brasov. They are responding um, to the need and receiving people there. The Odessa team is scattered all over, uh, or rather the Kiev team is scattered all over. Our seminary is running online um, right now. The seminary building is still standing in Kiev. And the, um, you know, we share in the suffering to some extent, at least, of, the, of, of all the other Ukrainian folks who are displaced. So that physical kind of, we want to go home too, yeah. um, thing we're feeling um spiritually i'll speak for myself it's it's so hard i mean it's really really hard so i think spiritual encouragement in the face of injustice in the face of hatred and war and uh, and all this stuff that is i think of paramount importance our theology reminds us that I just said it all depends on one man. Uh, uh, that's obviously not true. It doesn't depend on one man. It depends on God. Um, so our, this, our understanding of sovereignty, our understanding of providence, all need we need to be reminded of that often, I think, mm. all, all of us, all, as missionaries and church members and, and so forth, but especially in a situation like this where it does feel like it can feel at times like it, it is dependent on one man, yeah. uh, but it's not. And then emotionally... I think the 
you know, all of us have heard so many tragic and terrible stories, so many, um, and experienced so many tragic and terrible things um, that I think emotionally thinking this through, working this through, and aside of all those three things, you know, we're still there and desire to serve. Uh, still, you know, running uh, the Christ for Ukraine program, funding the churches, you know, making calls and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, that we would, you just mentioned a second ago that this, uh, it's likely this war will go on for a little while. Our desire is to do what we're doing, to serve and love um, and come alongside for as long as it takes. And um, that we would be able to do that. Endurance. Uh, that we would be able to have endurance to be able to, be yeah. able to do that. So those are the things that come to mind. I mean, it's, it's a, it's been really I've been really thankful and it's been a privilege to see how the, the team has come together and how the church has come together to, to respond to this. It just, as I mentioned earlier, if the circumstances weren't so tragic, if the injustice wasn't so blatant, if, uh, the future wasn't so dim, it would be a really fun thing to do this and work mm. together on everybody. Unfortunately it isn't, it's, it's, it's war and war is, um, terrible. Yeah. 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 The team there did not go to to serve in a war environment. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I can say though that, you know, what from just a very limited perspective I had, it was it's very impressive to see um how the Lord enabled you guys to organize to to serve in lots of different ways. You know, Mar it sounds like yeah, March and April were crazy and yet you you guys had to fig- figure it out and how how could we serve in this crazy Tetris of getting, you know, lining up the people who needed to get someplace with the people who were willing to welcome them. And it's been wonderful to see, see how the Lord's working through that. And, but it, it, it is everybody's continued prayer that this, that the Lord would bring, bring the suffering in this war to, to an end soon. Amen. Amen. I, I, like I said before, there will be a post-war Ukraine. Yep. Ukraine is in a unique position in Eastern Europe to be a, a light that other places either can't mm-hmm. or aren't. Uh, our political environment is different. Our freedom of religion is... Ukraine is the most religiously free country in Eastern Europe, mm. in the Russian-speaking world at least. And so our ability to, with our seminary, with our library at the seminary, with, with all of that stuff... To be able to speak into and send missionaries to, et cetera, et cetera, to countries like Russia, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, all those guys is a great thing. My hope and prayer is that we'd be able to grow the church in Ukraine post-war and establish our position in Eastern Europe as kind of a ascending agency, or not agency, ascending country yeah. of, of, of missionaries and and books and publishing stuff and all that stuff into, into, into the rest of Eastern Europe. So that's the hope. It feels a little dim right now, but that is the that is well. The hope. You can be encouraged to be reminded that through the Ukrainian diaspora, the impact of the work that you've been doing in Ukraine for all these years in the lives of Ukrainians is being spread throughout all of uh, much of the secular Europe. Um, and um, that's true. And so you know maybe this is that's one true. way that God will be you know breathing new life into the churches. Yeah. All throughout Europe. East uh, and West, that's East true. East and West, yeah, so. That's true. Well, thank you, John, for taking the time to to share with us. It's certainly instructive to me and helpful for me as, yeah, I, as I've too. come up to speed with um, all this transpired uh, in, in a lot of ways far away and yet uh, very close to us uh, as well. And, and um, may he continue to give you guidance particularly in your in your leadership role with this team and uh for for such a time as this um he's he's raised you up and uh hopefully you're encouraged in the work that that he's set before you amen amen thank you in addition to this informative update on ukraine from john id the mtw ukraine country director I would like you to hear directly from a refugee family describing their escape from Mariupol in March of this year. You might recall that Mariupol was the city where the Russians were closing in tighter and tighter until all that was left were about 1,000 Ukrainian soldiers holed up in a steel factory. The following was recorded while I was traveling through Eastern Europe back in May, visiting the various churches ministering to Ukrainian refugees. 
This interview takes place in the country of Lithuania, where this family has settled. Lithuania is the southernmost of the Baltic countries. It sits just north of Poland and west of Belarus. My traveling companion, Rich Bout, and I were sitting with World Witness missionary Frank Vendalen. He's the New Zealand accent you'll hear. The first voice you will hear is that of a young Ukrainian woman in her early 20s. She's able to speak English. You will also hear the voice of a Ukrainian mother and her son. He's about 20 years old. Since she does not speak English, you will also hear her story through a translator, one of the church members in Lithuania. It's possibly hard to follow all the threads of the conversation, but if you're able to listen to the end, you will hear some powerful testimonies of God's mercy and grace as he carried these individuals hundreds of miles through hostile territory to Lithuania, where they are being cared for by God's people there. This story represents just one of thousands of such stories of survival that occurred since February 24, 2022. What did you come to Lithuania? When did you come to Lithuania? Um, on the 5th of May. Mm. 5th of May. Fifth of May. They went uh, different ways. 5th of May? Like 10 days ago? She came. Okay, she came. Okay. And Nadi and Ilya, they came earlier. Okay. Yeah. Did, yeah, so did how did you come here? I'm also from Mariupol. Yeah, but how did you come? Did you fly out? You didn't fly no, out? No, uh, by bus. You okay. came by bus, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us your story about leaving Mariupol? Yeah, so I started my journey from uh, the 26th of April. So, and from Mariupol, I need to um, pass like a... Uh, to go through this filtration where I checkpoints. Yeah, checkpoint. Thank mm -hmm. you. Where these uh, guys need to check me, my phones, my mm -hmm. documents, and uh, uh, with uh, help with uh, this document, I can leave my city and go to next. And after that, I with my parents stay at village. So in village, my father has. Uh, a house of his parents and my parents lived here and also in this period of time our friends from Moscow they come to us and take me with them to Moscow and after Moscow I buy a ticket for a bus and with bus from Moscow I'm from Latvia now I'm here Wait a minute, you went to Moscow? Yes. Yeah. Where was your village from your father? And uh, It's the name Kamenka. So it's near to Mariupol. Hmm. Okay. And it was on the Russian side of uh, Mariupol? Yes, it's uh, Donetsk. The hmm. Donetsk region. Almost, yeah. What date did you leave Mariupol? Uh, on the 26th. Of April. Of April. Yeah. Wow. Now Mariupol was surrounded by the Russians, no? Yes. So you had to go through the Russians too. Yes. Wow. And that was what was that process? How difficult was that to get out? Did they let you go with papers and you went? Yes, I have a difficult checkpoint from Mariupol because they. Check me uh, who my body and uh, for tattoos uh, or maybe any if I heard from uh, guns. Yeah, oh, no. and uh, they also check everything in my phone, my photos, and they ask me, asked me about uh, why I have photo of uh, American flag and Ukraine mm. when it was just event at university of my friend and I don't know why it was hmm. but uh, they just uh, what about the tattoos did you say yeah why did they check for tattoos uh, because we have uh, in Mariupol Azov and they oh, have yeah. tattoos they have ta the Azov group okay yes yeah. and uh, if uh, I would from here they they would have that would have been bad yeah. so it is one special tattoo for Azov yeah. Um, no? Not one, a lot. A lot? So they also have tattoos on their feet, legs. With the name of it? 
of this factory. As of battalion, it's a group of soldiers that are... Uh, it is big factory in oh. which they are staying, Ukrainian okay. uh, soldiers, and they are fighting, and they are right now very surrounded by Russians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought they were all evacuated now, no? They're the not civilians, only civilians. So the Russians were would allow you to pass through if you were not if you did not look like a soldier. Yeah. Okay. And so then they, then when you got into the Russian area, you went on to Moscow, and then you came to Latvia. To Latvia, wow. But you okay. be with your father, to, or your or you just went alone. I'm alone. <laughs> you went alone out of Mariupol as well? No, I was my friends, uh, parents uh, from Mariupol to this near villager. Mm -hmm. We were together, but uh, after that, uh, I I was with friends of my mother that uh, they okay. took me to Moscow, and okay. after that, I was alone, go by bus, went by bus. Mm. Were you scared doing all of that? Илья, ты тоже расскажи вашу историю, как вы уехали. Ну, мы на английском сложновато, наверное. Ну, ничего, переводим, если что. Не стыдно. Ну, почему? Расскажи. Я по... I asked uh, Ilya well, their, story. their story, how they get say. out, yeah. and uh, he said that it's a shame for him to Well, you can tell Ilya, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I'm sure your mom's glad you're here too, so. Yeah. We are glad that you're here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. No. Yeah. No, if the <laughs> Several days before going out from Mariupolis, they were trying to prepare their car. And so, as I told Nadia, he has two sons, Ilya and another one. And the car was without uh, glasses, windows, windows, windows. Uh, wheels, with one wheel. They were taking uh, wheels from other, other cars and oh. they were trying to put yeah. them into yeah. this one. It's smart. It's a hole from the bullet. Three days they prepared the wheels in blood. Сбили руки. Пока отремонтировали это все. Потом у нас колонна семь машин. Через широкие улицы очень быстро проезжали, потому что шли обстрелы и в спину стреляли еще. And when they were moving through the streets of the city, they were very speedy because all the time they were. Белые флаги вывешивали или дети писали на этом люди. So it was a big deal how to see to decide what to do. Yeah, really? Oh my goodness. They were standing uh, on the row of uh, for ten days. 
to get into this checkpoint. Чтобы пройти фильтрацию. Много писали, допросы. In these checkpoints, they were also looked very carefully. They had to take off their clothes. They were looking at Nadia's shoulders. Maybe she could shoot good. Also, they had to took everything from their phones. So almost everything was checked, and they were. People are asking a lot of questions. Interrogated. So yes. by these uh, custom people, mm -hmm. they were all the time questioned, questioned a lot about mm -hmm. everything. Там уже начали ходить русские деньги, у нас гривны были, но обменять было. And uh, in this place already Russian uh, money were on, not uh, Ukraine. And they had only Ukraine money, Grivnas. And что вы делали? Вы поменяли эти? В аптеку ты как-то поменял, да, по-моему, в аптеку? And it was very hard to change the money into Russian one, so Ilya was going with the soldiers, asking them to. Pay instead of them, and such way he got Russian money. In exchange, нам надо было в аптеку, а в аптеке только российские деньги мы еще из-за этого и машина что. They had to go to a drugstore because they had some illnesses, and also they had to buy some other stuff for the car to fix it, to move on. That's why they needed this money. Там уже потом мы на Ростов, на Таганрог, на Ростов потом. And then they were driving to Rostov. It's in Russia, such. В Ростове мы старшего сына. And in Rostov, the oldest brother of Ilya, the oldest son of Nadia, he. Stayed because he was thinking to stay in Russia because he has a girlfriend in Russia. Потом они несколько дней остались в Ростове. And then all the time they were sleeping in the car and they were trying to fix a car just to for moving. Стекла. Россия нам заехали. And they went to the shop. In Russia, and people give three windows for a car without any payment. Потом еще заехали немного починить машину. And then they were trying to make a car better for further going. Там был очень большой список, но они когда узнали то, что and in this service, when they get to know that these people are from Mariupolis, they fixed not everything in the car, but they fixed only a few things just to keep going for a car. And it was done for it for free. Perfect. They saw some kindness. So the Russians were quite helpful. Ordinary people were helping, but not the government. And then they had to drive 800 kilometers to Georgia, to custom. And through the night they did it. And with them also was a friend of Ilya who had no documents and a passport, and he was not let in, let out. He was not выпустен или впустен. Не, его не выпустили. The Russians didn't not didn't let him out from Russia. Но твой паспорт тоже выпущен. У меня он был, а он его сдал на замену. У него документов вообще не было. 
you know, it's a, how to say, very strange situation. This boy had a passport before and he gave to this passport in Mariupolis to change into a new one. And the war started and mm. he didn't Shoot. took it. Yeah, he was renewing his passport. Yes, yes, and that, it was the reason oh, he was not carrying. And Ilya had passport, but uh, it was not valid. It was finished already, but oh, he had. Yeah. yeah, he at least had a passport. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, so sure. can you get a Lithuanian passport now, or you'll get a Ukrainian passport? He will get. Okay. But you know, because of the war, it was the making of Ukrainian passport stopped. was stopped, okay. and only right now they renewed it. Yes? Yeah. yeah. Ah, so it is not new making passports, yes. but it is extend extension. So what became of the friend? Do they still have contact with him? He got left in Russia. So Nadia told that uh, he's leaving Russia also, and he's coming to Lithuania also. Oh, I can. As well. So they will issue you a new one, like, or a renewed one, or will they just uh, allow that to be used? Oh. Expand somehow. He was in, in uh, Vilnius in uh, Ukraine embassy, okay. and um, they will do something. Because yeah. right now it seems that he is without any document. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. yeah. in, uh, in Ukraine, and maybe Lithuania, does everybody have a passport? In, in the United States, many people do not have mm-hmm. passports. Really? Yeah, 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 because many people never leave. There are many, many Everybody many. has a driver's license, but not a passport. Yeah. Uh, Everybody has one? Mm-hmm. In Lithuania, okay. it's also oh, there, yeah. where, where yeah. you have yeah. to yeah. have this document. Yeah. Yeah. He's telling that it is a new thing in Ukraine, uh, it appeared several years ago, yeah. that in um, electronic... It's digital, yeah. Something yeah. you yeah. have, yeah. Yeah, and they scan it. Take your code? They were part of a convoy when they left Mariupol. Really? Several cars together. We were going in this convoy just until checkpoint. Okay. And then after the checkpoint they were going different different ways. Безопаснее выехать было. Yeah, they were thinking that it would be um, uh, more safer to go alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Were there a lot of people going through Russia oh. to leave, or were they mostly going through Ukraine? I don't know. Okay. I mean, all, this convoy was all uh, obviously going. I mean, they were clearly going all through Russia. Как вам сказать? No. У нас очень было много, как их, Илюш, лайфайковых этих Фейк, зеленых, фейковых. фейковых зеленых коридоров. Надя сказала, что они слушали радио, и было много новостей о фейковых коридорах. Вы знаете, что я имею в виду. И она сказала, что, например, это была новость, free way to go from Berdansk to Zaporozhets and uh, the buses with children and women were going through this way and all of them they were shot and killed. Really? And uh, it was announced that it is safe free corridor. Mm. So um, uh, a lot of people were afraid to go to mm-hmm. Ukraine side because of this fake news yeah. they didn't knew the way how to go to this mm. side that's why most of them they were going to Russian side еще у нас тоже было такое же самое первое сообщение в подвале also it was uh, an announcement uh, that uh, for example one day from 11 until evening you can go freely until uh, factory as a start uh, and um, uh, some people believed that it is possible to get out from the basements 
Uh, and the, it was told that if you have a car, you can go uh, with a car. If you don't have a car, you can go by foot. And uh, from 11 uh, o'clock, they could move. So now they telling that five bus stops from their house uh, at 11.30 uh, started the shooting and all the people were killed who were going on the street. So they didn't believe any news they were getting, yeah. you know, because yeah. of these examples. Нам после этого сказали, что мы в такие зеленые коридоры не верили. And uh, they were told that it's better not to believe all these news about safe corridors. У нас никогда не было And she said that uh, in Mariupol there were no accidents, uh, no. This sign that something will happen. She's saying that, for example, they were sleeping and the bombing was starting without any warning. Yes. Еще обычно, когда And yeah, is telling that maybe they had a kind of timetable of shooting because it was not at once the whole town, but one minute in one uh, place of the town, uh, after some time another one, and uh, he's telling that du during the night there were no shoots mm -hmm. at the daytime. And at the time of night they were not allowed to go out uh, into the streets because it was... Uh, uh, yes, and uh, Ukrainian uh, people were shooting also. Because Impossible to get water and bread. They were collecting the snow, which was not white but black because of everything. And they were boiling it to make good water to drink and to prepare the food. Did you have gas to boil the water? Костры на улице. Or wood. They were making a fireplace yeah. on the street mm -hmm. without any gas, yeah. just... Руки лицо чёрное, She's telling that uh, and hands and face were black wow. because of this. The У меня колготки уже. Her socks were, were, how to say, as a second skin. Mm -hmm. she, because of this spali, month, uh, she was not... Uh, Washing herself, oh, yeah. and it was even hard to take off. Oh, yeah. uh, head was very uh, dirty also, oh, yeah. and when she was taking a cap, was all the uh, hair it mm. could be taken because of this oh, yeah. dirt. Yeah. But he's telling that they are very thankful to us so that we uh, took them, that we found a place where to live. It's very hard when in one month you are losing almost everything. The family is broken, the house is bombed. And you have to leave your country. Yeah. 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 Father, we thank you that you're good to us, that you look after us, and we thank you for this family. We pray for your protection, continue to be with them. Your great blessing as they settle down here in Lithuania, 
We pray for their own country of Ukraine and pray, Father, that you would bring peace to that land and you'd bring once again the freedoms that they used to enjoy. We thank you that you hear our prayers, that you care for us and you protect us and provide us for us and so we depend completely upon you, knowing, as we've just heard, that everything can be taken away from us in a very short time. Hmm. So help us to trust in you and what you give us, the life that you give us, the peace, and just your presence with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for sticking with us to the end of this long podcast. Please continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, for missionaries and others serving the displaced, and that the war would end soon. Contributions towards the Ukraine Crisis Fund can be made at give.opc.org. If you go to that page, you can click on Diagonal Ministries and you will find the Ukraine Crisis Fund. Finally, I would like to acknowledge the work of the producer and editor of the Reformed Deacon podcast, Trish Dugan who does so much work behind the scenes to make this podcast possible. Thanks for joining us. Go to our website, thereformdeacon.org. There you will find all our episodes, program notes, and other helpful resources. And please make plans to join us again next month for another episode of the Reform Deacon Podcast.